Many years have passed since a fellowship of light battled the shadow creature at the Grey Haven. Now the heroes find themselves in an unknown land where they discover a man in black is wreaking havoc. Undeath follows him wherever he goes, and long-forgotten legends rise again having been possessed by his evil. Join the players of this Dungeons & Dragons campaign as they attempt to stop the man in black as he collects artifacts both on and off the Lonely Isle. Welcome to Tolerasia in part two of the Inglorian Bastards trilogy, Rise of the Mormon. Alright, welcome everybody to episode 91 of the Inglorian Bastards campaign. Um, I have a very, very special guest tonight. Um, we have done all kinds of great interviews uh, with this second part of the campaign, Rise of the Mormigil. Um, we've had language experts. We've had professors, um, multiple professors, in fact. Um, and I, I am just so excited to, to introduce somebody tonight. Um, tonight, the topic is going to be mapping and cartography and atlases and all the wonderfulness that goes along with that. Um, and of course, um, when you talk about Tolkien, and you're talking about atlases and cartography, you have to talk about the Atlas of Middle-Earth by Karen Wynne Fonstad. And uh, I, I, I have the privilege tonight to, to talk to her son, Mark. So welcome to the podcast. Good day. <laughs> so I think we should just start, we should get right into this. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's, thank you. Um, so I guess the first question um, I would have would be... Um, uh, you know, kind of like an introductory question. Um, tell, tell, give people a little bit of a, um, uh, a little bit of a background on who you are, who, who your mother was, um, you know, where you guys are from, and, and that sort of thing. Certainly, my name is Mark Fonstead, and I'm a professor of geography at the University of Oregon. My mother was uh, Karen Wynne Fonstead, and she was a, amongst other things, a cartographer who occasionally taught at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. And my father was a professor of geography who taught also at that same university, the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. And uh, my mother was from Oklahoma, and she did a master's degree in geography at the University of Oklahoma, which is where she met my father. Uh, uh, he's from Wisconsin, she's from Oklahoma, so I have uh, family from both of those. And uh, she was there actually... Uh, originally to be an art major. and um, But you have to recognize in the 60s, um, that was a time of sort of abstract art. Mm -hmm. And uh, she really didn't feel like she f the kind of art that she liked, she didn't really fit in at that time. And so somebody encouraged her to get involved with medical art, which at the time was all done by hand. Mm -hmm. uh, and... At some point, somebody told her, well, if you're going to do medical art, you need to have some medical training. And so she went and became a physical therapy student. And she actually did physical therapy for quite a while uh, during her life when she wasn't doing cartography. Um, but even that, uh, it didn't exactly work out. And she ended up uh, doing mapping for somebody who needed it done at the university. And eventually somebody said, why don't you just get a degree in geography? That's where they're doing mapping. And so that's how she ended up as a cartography student. Uh, and that would have been in the late 1960s. Uh, and she was a graduate student, a master's student in the late 60s, at roughly the time when 
the Lord of the Rings was very much in vogue. This was the sort of late 60s social upheaval, and that was a time when there was uh, an enormous interest in Tolkien. Of course, he was still alive at that time. Right. And um, she had never read any of those books at the time, uh, but she uh, had a student who was trying to make a class map of Lord of the Rings. And I think the student wasn't very good. I don't think they actually even finished their map for <laughs> class, but that was the first time she had ever heard of it. And um, a little while later, she was at a, a friend's house and they had the very first book of the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. And she, they offered it to her. She took it home and read the whole thing in one night. Um, <laughs> wow. And, and of course, didn't have the other two books, and the library wasn't open, and, you know, so she had to sit and wait for days. But uh, in the next few years, I think she must have read that book, that trilogy, 50 times, um, which is, of course, exactly what you have to do if you're going to make an atlas. Right. Well, that's, that's pretty impressive. I, I think the first time I read The Fellowship of the Ring, I don't know that I made it past Tom Bombadil <laughs> without putting it down for a few days. <laughs> In many ways, the first book is the hardest. Yes. You know, there's a, like many books, that's the, we have to put a lot of, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of just introductory material you have to start with. Plus, there are sort of side stories in the first book that are, are not exactly central. And so it is hard for some people. Um, just imagine if you had started with the Silmarillion, though, and it's not that hard. Yes, absolutely. And and I had the same reaction at first to the Aina Lindale first chapter of the Silmarillion, <laughs> but now right. now it's my absolute favorite. So so okay, so you, uh, that's this is really interesting stuff. I had no idea um, that that you know any of these things really about your mother. Um, so you so you have three sort of. Uh, uh, geography-centered people in your family, uh, yourself, your father, and your mother. Um, so did, did your mother pass down this love of maps and, 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 and cartography and atlases to you? Um, or how, how did that happen? Uh, that's a good question. I think, well, when you're around two geographers, <laughs> it's, like, it's like being around two actors or two musicians or something. Even if you're not interested in it, you get to be pretty good at it. Uh, and we did a, a lot of being outdoors and traveling around and, you know, being worldly. And I think I was sort of destined, at least myself, to, to being a geographer. I did try to do other things, but eventually I was back in geography. Uh, and um, did she pass that love down, her love down? Well, I suppose, uh, certainly, I got a lot out of it, or I got a lot of her um, growing up, and I still do. Yeah, yeah. Did she pass down that love of, of Tolkien and fantasy uh, to you as well? Yeah, I think she read it to me when I was a, a kid. Um, and of course, the Atlas was being, the first edition of the Atlas was being made uh, 1979, 1980. Uh, and I was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Um, and too early to, too young to really understand entirely what was going on, but I knew what was going on. And I certainly knew the stories at least generally at that point. Um, and when the revision was being done, I was in high school and I knew exactly what was going on. And, and I had read probably all the books at that time that existed. Not all of them exist. Not all the history volumes had been released at that point. Right. So I very much knew about them and I was very interested. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose even today I'm a, a I have an interest in fantasy, uh, although I tend to have to read a lot of other stuff instead of 
every every night doing fantasy. Uh, uh, I was very much a fan of Ursula Le Guin, and oh, she just yeah. died, of course, early this year. Yeah. She was from she was from Portland, Oregon, and I was lucky enough to see her several times. So I, I suppose it still continued. Oh wow! Yeah, I know. Um, so I, I um, just to give people a little bit of a context here. Um, so the the I believe the the first Atlas, the first version of the Atlas, came out in what 1981. Um, That's right. I think that was the first publication date and. Um, just for context, I believe the Silmarillion came out in 1977, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, the, the copy of, of the, um, I, I, this must be, it's, it's, it's titled the Refi- the revised edition. Um, I have this beautiful paperback copy of your mother's book here. And this one was released, I believe in 1991, if I'm not 1991. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's gorgeous. Um, but, but in the intervening years, the 10 years between the first publication and this revised edition, I, I believe Christopher Tolkien had released the history of Middle Earth series. Is that correct? He had released some of the history series, not all of them. And the unfinished tales had also been released in the meantime. Right. When, when the original Atlas was done, uh, none of those things existed. Although my mother had been told that they were coming. Um, all she had was the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, and the Silmarillion. And in fact, the idea for doing an atlas didn't exist before the Silmarillion because for the first um, couple of years that she had an interest in Tolkien, and as a cartographer, she was interested in the maps, she really was thinking about making an enormous map an indexed map like you'd see on somebody's wall. and But it, the more she thought about it, the more complex she realized such a map would have to be to include everything that was of interest to people. And then when the Silmarillion came out, my my father knew that my mother was interested in it. And he, he actually went down to the store and bought it for her. Oh. And she, she read it straight through. And um, she realized pretty quickly that it would have been impossible to put all of that, as well as the other... Uh, the other stories on a map. So it was at that moment she thought, okay, well, that's why we have atlases. And that's when the idea of the atlas arose. So that was, I can't remember exactly when the Silmarillion came out, 1976 or... 77, I I believe. 77. And um, so very quickly she uh, thought about, well, what do I do? Do I call it the Tolkien Estate? Do I... Do I go to an editor? What do I do? And um, a friend of hers, uh, who she, she had author friends around and people who had worked with publishers, and somebody said, you know, these these groups, the publishers and the Tolkien Estate, they probably get a thousand uh, suggestions every year, uh, and it, it's it's very tough to get a foot in the door that way. Um, why don't you find out who is actually doing the publishing and call them? directly and say here's an here's a here's an idea and do you have a specialist and so i think at that time the publisher of uh was um houghton mifflin it is yeah and she called them and they had uh working who a woman whose name i can't remember but who had actually worked with professor tolkien and she talked to this woman and said this is the idea uh i'm a I've got cartography background. I've done a lot of annotations of the books, cartographic annotations, and this is a plan. This is what I would like to do. And the woman said something to the effect of, you know, we get a hundred terrible ideas 
a, a year on things that are token related but this actually sounds different and very interesting and very quickly uh she well and this woman went to the token estate and uh so my mother never went to the token estate she went to the publisher and that was that was the way that she was able very quickly they said yes and um she was on her way um there were a couple of other things that happened that were important the first is is that I don't know how she knew, somebody must have told her, that the, the Mar- Marquette University had token holdings. Um, and so pretty quickly, it, so we lived maybe 90 miles away from Milwaukee, which is where, that, where those uh, materials were held. And she went down many times to look through them. And she actually discovered one or two uh, maps, images that no one had seen before. They had been misindexed. And so it was very useful to her to be able to have access to those materials. Uh, and it's funny, some of the materials are just exactly what you would expect a professor would have, like those little blue books, for example, that you would take tests with. Those are many of the things he wrote were in those kind of books. Uh, so it was that was very helpful. Wow, that's incredible. And you, you said th- these were housed um, sort of near where you were from. That's right. So we lived in in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is sort of east central Wisconsin. And uh, the Token Library, I can't remember exactly what it's called, the collection is at Marquette University, which is in Milwaukee, which is also in Wisconsin, in southeastern Wisconsin. And so that was very useful. She didn't have to drive a thousand miles to see those materials. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, um... So, so she started working on this. You said she started in around seventy nine, um, and it took her. It about- would have been yeah, roughly seventy, late seventy eight, seventy nine, somewhere in there. And so it took her a couple two two and a half years uh, to produce. Of course, at that time there were no personal computers, or there were personal <laughs> computers, but they didn't have any means to make production quality maps. So everything was done by hand. All the maps were done by hand. They were penciled and inked and uh, there weren't even the copiers that we have today the enlarging reducing copiers it all had to be done by hand um pretty quickly we did buy my my family bought a uh, early apple pc because she had to do the writing part of an app when you do a comprehensive atlas you can't just make maps of course there's a lot of text and so and at the time like Microsoft Word didn't even exist. There were early pre- predecessors, so it was it was much more like writing computer code to get things to come out just the way you want. Uh, so she was very driven, um, and a lot of that work was very late at night. She was a night owl. She passed that on to me. I'm a night owl, uh, and so she would be working in, into the night at home on a on a light table, a drafting table, and. Uh, and it was sort of my father's job in the morning to get all the, you know, get his kids up and get them to school because there was just no way that she was going to be able to do that in the morning and also work at night. Wow, that that's a great story. I I, um, I wanted to read a piece here from the acknowledgments, or I I, I, don't, I can just kind of mention what it says here. It says that uh, my sister Marsa Crisop, who retyped it all on a computer, is that the Apple computer that you were talking about? I don't remember. I mean, I know Marsa, of course, she's my aunt, but uh, uh, I can't remember if it was the very first version was typed by Marsa or my mom, but I know at some point, my mother, we did finally buy a PC so that she could actually do the work herself. Oh, wow. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this, and, and, and it's absolutely right. There, there's not just 
there's not just pictures and, and, and uh, maps in this. There's a there's a huge amount of description and writing, as well as looks like um, that like uh, evolution of language charts. Um, you had you have talk about vegetation and climate and land forms. I mean, there's there's this must have taken so much work. So this is the this is the difference between a map and an atlas. So the an, when you make a map um, from scratch, if the data or if the information already exists, then a, a cartographer can kind of do everything. And but in the case of an atlas, it's much more of a broader thing. You have to be able to make the maps, but you also have to accumulate all the knowledge that's needed to make a description. And so that's really the the act of a geographer is to that means to write the world. That's what that word means. And so people who make atlases, production atlases, are have to be trained very broadly. They have to know, okay, it's not just give me some data, I'm gonna make a map, but how do I tell a story about a place right. or a set of places? And uh, in order to do that, in my mother's case, in the case of Tolkien, who was not alive at that time, he had died a few years earlier, uh, really the, the main thing that she had to do was literally line by line to go through every single book and to note whether or not it contained geographic information. And that line-by-line information was then basically typed into, I guess today we would have a spreadsheet, and that way she could index and compare uh, and to be able to take that knowledge and say, all right, in this part of the book it said it took this long to get from A to B, and this part of the book it said it was it was done in this way, such and such a way, and eventually thousands of lines later you begin to have the background necessary in order to build a map. Uh, you can't... It, you're lucky in the case of Tolkien that there was certain maps to start with, but they're very, uh, they're, they're not, they're of the whole world, in, or at least to some degree, but they don't contain a lot of detail, or the detail is one part but not another. You can't just rely on the existing maps. You have to be able to build it up directly from text. And that was the single hardest part about building the atlas, is that because she wasn't able to work with uh, the author directly, she had to build a base map upon which everything else was made, and that had to be built just from the text. Uh, a text which, by the way, is not completely <laughs> consistent. No, that's absolutely right. And so, and so when she created these maps, did they need to be, I mean, they, they must have needed to be signed off on by, by someone from the Tolkien estate. I don't think so. Uh, she worked pretty specifically with Houghton Mifflin, and there was, maybe I'm wrong, but my memory is that there was very little interaction with the Tolkien estate. Uh, I know Christopher Tolkien, after it was published, um, was complimentary. And of course, with following in the following years, there were books that were published, the, the history series, which occasionally had things which were at odds with which, it, which sure. some of the things that had been published, which is why there was a revised version uh, to try to take care of some of the most more egregious of those errors. But I don't remember a lot of interaction. In fact, my mother once said that she could have been on a desert island. Uh, it, was really, it was really just her and the, uh, the books and her drafting table. Uh, she did use Robert Foster's Complete Guide to Middle Earth quite a bit. Right. Uh, but she did not, it was not a group effort. No. Well, let me ask you about, um, while I have the book out here, let me ask you about one more 
um, little blurb in here, and and this is this is of course the dedication. Um, I mean, let me read this for the for the listener. It says uh, to Todd, Mark, that's you, and Christy, still pilots who have shared ten years of trials and triumphs from Middle Earth. Can can you tell us what what is that? Uh, what does that mean, still pilus? That's my mother's joke, meaning that uh, she worried that when she was, during the two and a half years that she was working on the Atlas, that she wasn't doing her motherly duties of making pies, and uh, which I don't think was entirely true. <laughs> it sounds like she did most of the work at night, so I think yeah. she did fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I, I noticed um, in doing some research about your mother, um, I'm sorry to say that I never got to meet her uh, or talk to her, but she um, she had done some really, uh, from what I can tell, some really interesting other atlases uh, around Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance. Is that is that correct? Yes, especially during the 1980s. Um, the second one that she did was the Atlas of Pern. This is with Anne McCaffrey. And in the case of Anne McCaffrey, she was, of course, still alive, and I went with my mother to Ireland in the early 1980s, so this would have been just after the original Lord of the Rings Atlas came out, um, Middle Earth Atlas, and so we went to Ireland. My mother worked with Anne McCaffrey for several days, and uh, that's an entirely different process when you have the author yeah. actually there you can ask questions of. Wow. Um, and... When we were in the in Ireland and uh, also we went to England, um, my mother went and also looked and studied um, castles and other sort of medieval designs because I think she sort of knew that if she was going to do more cartography, it was going to be in the sort of fantasy realm. So she she was interested in the architecture of of castles and of cathedrals and. Um, so she did the Atlas of Pern. Um, we also she also did the Atlas of the Land, which is Stephen Donaldson, uh, who at the time lived in Santa Fe, if I remember. My family went and, and uh, drove down there so she could work with him. Uh, and I didn't meet him. I I think she he would only work with her. Um, in the following year, she did um, a couple of books that were related to Dungeons and Dragons. She also did a lot of modules for TSR, the company that did Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, she, there were two or three books that I think she really wanted to do, Atlas that she wanted to do, that she was not able to. She was very interested in doing a Narnia Atlas. Oh, yes. Uh, the the C.S. Lewis estate, and in fact, in the last two or three years of her life, she uh, was trying to get permission from the Lewis estate to do Narnia, and they, they pretty much said no. Um, also, she, uh, I think she had interest, although she did, and she did actually did some preliminary maps for a Narnia atlas. I still have them. I can't show them because it's all copyright, of course. Ah, sure. Uh, uh, she, I had an interest in a couple of others. I think she would have been interested to do um, Ursi, Ursula Le Guin's Ursi. Of course. Um, she, she was very interested in Dune, Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, the, the weird thing is that I now, I, I live in Eugene, Oregon, and I didn't really realize that uh, Frank Herbert uh, was in 
the Oregon Dunes National Recreational Area when he came up with his book idea, which is just 40 miles away from where I live. Oh, wow. So it's, it's in a, some strange way, I've been connected, and my mother was connected with a lot of fantasy writers. And of, to Dungeons and Dragons, for example, was published by TSR, which also was in southern Wisconsin oh. uh, at that time, Lake Geneva. So it was. We were very much at the heart of a lot of a lot of this. In fact, Tolkien, in some respects, was the furthest away in uh, in the UK. Sure, sure. Well, um, did, I I'm just going to ask it because it came up. Did 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 you or your mother ever um, get into Dungeons Dragons or play play uh, just to sort of experience it? I played it as a kid. Yeah. Um, I don't think she ever played it, and uh, but she was very much. Uh, she talked with a lot of people who did because she needed to know how to draw maps for modules that were being used in those games. Uh, they were, it was different than doing an atlas. And uh, I think, I can't remember how many, she, I know she did a handful of those atlases, but uh, at the time, that was a big thing, Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, if she had been a full-time cartographer, which she really never was, she either was doing atlases or she was doing physical therapy or she was occasionally doing side teaching at the university. Uh, but if she had done it more full-time, I think that would have been the direction she would have had to have gone, a more, more of a short-term contract cartographer. I'm curious about the release of the movies and if, um, if you know, in the early 2000s, all the way up to a few years ago, and, and the, the talk of this Amazon series that's, that's coming out, have people tried to contact you or have, have there's been like a resurgence in interest in the, in the, um, the Atlas of Middle-earth? So I'll start with the end of your question first, which is the new Amazon series. Um, I have deliberately uh, not looked at it. <laughs> Uh, I looked into it. I'm trying to stay away from it as much as possible. Uh, and uh, to my knowledge, nobody's come knocking on the door. I know that the Atlas was used a great deal in the development of the movies, the Lord of the Ring movies. Uh, I know this because um, Alan Lee, who was one of the main artists on the movies, uh, was at a, a couple of events with my mother late in her life, in the last year or two. And he was very involved in the production of the Lord of the Rings movies. And he said, we use your Atlas all the time. Uh, so from that perspective, it was a big deal, even before the movies came out, that her work was being used. And there was definitely, even before the movies came out, her books sold much more than average. Uh, and I think perhaps a little bit during the Hobbit movies as well. But I've always been surprised that there's been um, a kind of general, stable amount of sales ever since they were published. And it hasn't gone in the, except for the, the Lord of the Rings movies, there hasn't been some kind of like roller coaster. It's been a much more consistent sort of uh, selling book than you would expect. Normally, these kind of things go in cycles, and I think her book has been a much more stable kind of book. I think partly that's because it has a reputation for being a um, a resource rather than a thing. Uh, it's it's a thing that you that people say, "Oh, you've read those books now." Here are a couple of resources, and resources tend to have a, a longer term shelf life, even though they don't get the huge sales. 
Well, I, I tell you, they were a resource for me. Um, and I and I really wish um, that I had had them when I started reading The Lord of the Rings, and this, uh, especially The Silmarillion. Um, but I, I definitely used them when I was preparing this campaign, uh, which is what this podcast is about. But I, I, I want you to know, I put this out there on Twitter. I said, hey, you know, if, if, um, if anybody has used uh, the Atlas of Middle Earth, you know, kind of chime in and let me know you know, how you've used it. And, and a couple of people have chimed in and, and they, you know, they, they just like me really, um, all the way from, uh, yes, uh, this form, the, the basis of my own map work. Like, so, so somebody that's in cartography to the, you know, I got this as a, as a Christmas present. Um, and it's one of my favorite books. So I, I just wanted you to know that, 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 you know, there are people out there that this book has had a huge impact on, including myself. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm sure my mother would as well. I, I'm kind of nearing the end of my questions for you, but I guess my last question for you would be: um, if if your mother could could be here with us tonight, is there anything um, that she, she would want to pass on to to the fans of her work? Any anything that she would want to say? Oh, that's almost too big of a question, <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer. I, I'm sure she would say that. Maps, no matter what they're for, are a great entryway into worlds. And in the case of Tolkien's books, this is an enormous world. Use the maps to it for your enjoyment. And some people go further than that and are interested in maps themselves. And there are a lot of worlds to be mapped. There, there sure are. Well, um, Mark, thank you so much. Um, I I don't know if there's anything that that maybe um, I didn't ask you about that you wanted to mention. Um, so I'll, I'll just open that up uh, before I say goodbye. Is there anything that you want to say? No, I don't think so. I wish your uh, listeners well, and uh, I very much appreciate being able to talk about my mother's work. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose. 